recognize 70% of the faces and uh, really is good to be back. Pastor, he was saying that you guys had snow last week in La Crenta or, um, or 15 years ago. Actually, um, back in Michigan, we had snow about 10 days ago. So, uh, yeah, we, it's still crazy out there. <laughs> but um, actually, two years ago when I came here, it was pretty cold that, that week, too. So I don't think California really likes me. But, uh, but, but, but really, it's, it's, it, it really is good to be here. But um, since uh, Pastor Lee talked about the latter rain, I just want to mention um, something that's in the Bible concerning the latter rain. And uh, we'll get into the word after that. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 14, I believe it is. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Eleven verse ten. Deuteronomy chapter eleven and verse ten. Okay, here it says, For the land which you go to possess, and God is speaking to the Israelites that have just come out of Egypt, and they're going to the promised land. And God says to the Israelites, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. Um, when God was talking about the promised land to the Israelites, what did God refer it to as? The land flowing with what? With milk and honey. Have you seen any land that actually flows with milk and honey? What does God mean by flowing with milk and honey? Anyone? Flowing with milk and honey, what would, that, what would that mean when God says that? It's plentiful. Anyone else? It's, it's, there's, there's abundance. It's plentiful. But when you imagine the land of Israel, is that the imagery that you get? When you imagine Israel, do you see green? Um, do you see all, all plentiful? Or do you imagine more wilderness setting, more wilderness. It's more, it's desolate, it's, it's desert. Then why did God tell the Israelites that it would be a land flowing with milk and honey? Was God lying or was God bluffing? What, what was God doing there? Yeah. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 11, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, and the important word, the most important word is the first word in verse 14. And the word is then. Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your new oil. Now God's doing a comparison between Egypt and the promised land that they're about to go into. God says Okay, Egypt, it was really plentiful. When you were planting a garden, all you had to do to water the garden, you just have to go a little bit and just pull the water from your feet. 
And that's how you water the garden because it's so plentiful. There's a lot of water there. There's really not much you have to do in order to be successful in farming. But God says, the land that I'm leading you to, the promised land, it's not like that. The promised land will be only abundant if you are faithful. Only if you are asking for the early rain and the latter rain will I pour it out for you. Only if you are faithful to be obedient to my commandments, then it's going to be raining like crazy. I heard you guys had a lot of rain this year, and you had so much flour. And it wasn't like that other years. That's what Israel's like. God says, it can be really beautiful. It can flow with milk and honey, but there's a condition to it. It's not that I will just unconditionally just pour out rain all the time. It's going to be conditional. It's going to be conditional on your dependence on me. If you're fully dependent on me, rather than, rather than being self-compliant and just, just, be, just being compliant and just, just being content with yourself and, and just living your life as is, you're not going to get that blessing. But if you're willing to depend on me for that rain, if you are going to be dependent on me for all the resources, guess what? I'm going to provide it for you. And I think this is a good segue, and, and I thank Pastor Lee for, for talking about the latter rain, because, because the latter rain, Holy Spirit power, will not be poured out if we are not praying for it. There will be no revival in this church if we are not asking for it, if we are not praying for it, and if we are not ready for it. God, as much as He wants to pour it out to us, as much as He wants to revive us, it will not happen. This church can be a church that is flowing with milk and honey if we're faithful and if we ask. So let's start with a word of prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, Lord, we're asking for your presence to be with us this weekend, um, this evening and tomorrow. Lord, as we open up your word, we're asking for wisdom. We're asking for wisdom that... You help us to understand your will for our lives, but not only to understand, Lord, or we want our lives to be transformed. We want to be more like you. We want our characters to reflect your son, Jesus Christ, more. So, Lord, guide us through this time, for this is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Right, um, as I start my, my actual sermon, um, I'm going to ask of two favors. Um, first favor is this. I don't like talking at people when I'm, when I'm preaching. Um, so I like to communicate with people. So I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. If you would be so kind to be um, willing to interact with me, to answer questions, whether you're right or wrong really doesn't matter. If you're wrong, it's, it actually helps my sermon. It, it really does. So if you can just, just interact with me, just, just, just blurt out what you think is the answer, that would be really helpful. Secondly, my, my sermons are, are very difficult to follow if you're not following with me in the Bible itself. So if you can just open up your Bible with me, that's going to be really, really, really helpful. Um, so 
Let's say you go to buy a car, um, whatever brand you like. So let's say you like Honda, so you want to buy a minivan. You want a Honda Odyssey. Odyssey. So you go to a Honda dealership, and um, you look at the car. It looks really nice. It has a, a nice automatic opening door. It, I, mean, the, the, I mean, everything looks good. The air conditioner is working fine. And it has gold rims or whatever it is that, that, that's really good for a car. It has great things. Except when you press on the gas pedal, it doesn't drive. Is there anyone here that would be willing to buy that car? Because the purpose for a car is to move you from one location to another. That's the purpose of a vehicle. What's the purpose of a piano? Why does a piano exist? Anyone? So Christopher could play. So that Christopher could play music. So you can have a beautiful looking piano and the seats can be really comfortable and and the keys are made out of ivory and it's just a beautiful, splendid looking piano. But if it does not play music, it is a useless piano because it is not fulfilling the purpose of its creation. It was created in order to make music. Let's say you go to a restaurant, a beautiful restaurant. The the, the waiters are really friendly and and the interior is just just beautiful and everything is splendid. The plates are really nice and the music is really good and the food came out and the food, food tastes like sand. Are you willing to go back to that restaurant? You probably wouldn't because the restaurant is not fulfilling the reason for its existence, which is to serve you good food. So my real question to you is this. What is the reason for your existence? Why do you exist as a human being? Now, if a restaurant doesn't know why it exists, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in a lot of problem. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be in a lot of trouble for not knowing why it exists. If a firefighter doesn't know the main, main reason for his, the main reason his job exists, he's going to cause a lot of trouble in his community because he doesn't know that he has to be turning off all the, just just getting the, exterminating all the fires in his town. If we do not know why we exist as a human being, our life will be just going somewhere, but it's not going to be going where it should be going to. So let me ask you this question again. Do you know why you exist as a human being? I don't know about you, but um, the most memorable moment of my life was not when I was getting married. And I'm, I'm very open with that with my wife. Honestly, um, I'm very happily married seven years, but I really hardly remember my, my wedding day. Like, it was a very busy day, and I, I hardly remember it. But the, the happiest day of my life, the most memorable day of my life was when I saw my daughter the, it was the day my, my daughter was born. 
It was the, the most fantastic feeling that I've ever felt in my life. When I saw my baby coming out, I just, just couldn't hold it. It was an amazing moment. Now imagine God creating human beings. If it was such a, a, an emotion-filled time for me as a father, seeing my daughter being born, imagine God coming down to the earth. And he kneels down. He takes the, the dust of the earth, and he's, he's forming the hands. He's forming the face of Adam, and he's just forming this human being. It must have been a really special day. Now that God has created the human being and he has breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, Adam opens his eyes and the first thing that he sees is God's face. Because God was just breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Now what were the first words of God to Adam that is recorded in the Bible? Does anyone recall from memory without looking at it? What was the first thing God said to human beings? The first word or the first words? Does anyone know? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Tonight's sermon is not going to be fun, um, but it's going to be very important. And it's it's really going to be the setting for the sermons that that I'll be sharing with you tomorrow. And um, it's going to be very important. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. And these are the first words that are recorded in the Bible that were spoken by God to human beings. It says here, Then God blessed them, God blessed human beings, and God said to them, What are the first two words? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Keep those three things in your mind. The first thing God says is be fruitful. Second thing he says is to multiply. Third, third thing he says is to fill the earth. As you know, the story goes, Adam and Eve mess up and sin comes into this earth and sin starts just increasing like crazy and you get to, to chapter 6 and 7 and God is, is just, just wiping the world with flood and God says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this over again. I'm going to press the reset button and God chooses Noah. He has just wiped the world with with flood, and God has pressed the reset button, and let's go to Genesis 9, verse 1. What are the first words that God says to Noah? John chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Says here, so God blessed Noah, same thing he did for Adam and Eve. It says, so God blessed Noah and his sons, And said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The first thing that he said to Adam and Eve are the first things that he said to Noah as he is restarting the history of the earth. Human beings mess up again. They they, they build the, the Tower of Babel. So God says, you know what? Let me choose someone. He chooses Abraham. If you go to Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, God says to Abraham, I will will make you exceedingly fruitful. 
He says to Abraham's grandson Jacob in Genesis chapter 35 verse 11, Be fruitful and multiply. So is it a coincidence that God says again and again and again in the book of Genesis, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Actually, if you go to Exodus chapter 1, I believe it's verse 7 or 11. I'm not quite sure. But it says in Exodus chapter 1 that the Israelites, they were in Egypt and they were very fruitful and they were multiplying and they were filling the land of Egypt. Now, as God created human beings, God was going to be very careful in what he selected to be the first words that were ever going to be spoken to human beings. And he says, be fruitful. Be fruitful. Now let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, we have John the Baptist, and his role was preparing the way for Jesus to come. Okay, And... This was the message that he was preaching. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. This was the, the, the core message of the person that was preparing the way for Jesus. He says, therefore, bear what? Bear fruits that are worthy of. Of repentance. And verse 10, he says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good what? Fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The first words that God spoke to Adam and Eve was bear fruit. As God was recreating humanity, as God was restarting the history of the world, God says, bear fruit. As, as human beings mess up again, God selects Adam and says, bear fruit. God says to Jacob, whose name will now be Israel, he says, Israel, bear fruit. And as John the Baptist comes into the scene, and as he's preparing the way for Jesus, he says to the people of Israel, bear fruit. Now let's go to John, Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew 5 to 7, you have the greatest sermon that was ever preached. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the conclusion of that sermon. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. We'll start from verse 16. Jesus says here, You will know them by their what? By their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So again and again and again, the Bible says we need to be bearing fruit. God says to Adam and Eve, bear fruit. God says to Abraham, bear fruit. To Noah, bear fruit. Jacob, bear fruit. Israel, bear fruit. And God and Jesus himself comes to this world and he says, we have to be bearing fruit. Now there are three things that God said to Adam and Eve. He says, bear fruit, multiply, 
and fill the earth. We're going to get to what, what bearing fruit means a little bit later, but let's get to filling the earth. What does it mean to fill the earth? Does just God want us to just, just go, go all over the place and travel? Is that, is that what he means? Let's go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 21. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21, here it says, But truly, we'll start from verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the what of the Lord? With the glory of the Lord. So God is, just, is, is not just randomly saying to Adam and Eve, hey, I want you to travel to many places. I want you to see the beauty of the world. That's not what God is saying to Adam and Eve. God is saying to Adam and Eve, I want you to go in different places of the earth, and I want you to fill the earth, not with any randomness, but I want you to fill it with the what of the Lord? The glory of God. You see the same thing again in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, and, and Psalm chapter 72, verse 19. It says that we are to fill the earth, not with randomness, but with the glory of God. So the first thing that God says to Adam, bear fruit. The third thing that he says, he says, fill the earth, not with randomness, but I want you to fill the earth with the glory of God. Okay, so what is God's glory then? What is glory? What comes to your mind when you think of glory? What imagery comes to your mind? So John, what is glory? Anything. What's glory? What comes to your mind? Anything. Okay, God. Okay. What is glory? Anyone else? Ben, what comes to your mind when you think of glory? What is glory? You don't have to be right. It's okay. Anything. Okay, goodness of God. Anyone else? What is glory? Okay, making God happy. Okay. What imagery comes to mind? When you think of glory, it's something bright, right? Light, bright. That's what we think of glory. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. Now here you see Moses speaking with God. And he makes a very specific request, a very bold request. Here Moses says to God, and Moses said, God, please show me your glory. Does God agree to that? Yes or no, he does, actually. Verse 19, then God says, I will make all my what pass before you? I think ben, ben was right on track. He says, I will make my goodness 
pass before you, and I will proclaim the, the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So, so, so Moses requests to God, God, show me your glory. And God says, yes, I'll do it. I will make my goodness pass before you. In other words, what God's, God is saying is this. The, the greatest trait about me is not my outward look. It's, it's not my outward appearance. Appearance, that is my greatest trait. My greatest trait is not in something that is external. My greatest trait is something that is internal. That's where my glory is. You know, interestingly, if you look in the Bible, the Bible never explains to us how Jesus looked. Have you thought about that? You know, wouldn't it have been nice if the disciples had drew a picture of Jesus and Adam just included in the Gospels? Then we would be able to have a glimpse of what Jesus looked like. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John never explained to us how Jesus looked. They never left for us a painting of Jesus or a drawing of Jesus. It never explains it. Why not? Because we are not to be thinking of how God looks. We are to be thinking of what God is like internally. In other words, the glory of God is his character. And we're going to get more into that tomorrow. So how do we bring glory to God? Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And verse 8. John chapter 15 and verse 8. How do we bring glory to God? Here it says, By this my Father is glorified. That you bear much what? Much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So when God was speaking to Adam and Eve, the first thing he says is bear fruit. The last thing he says is fill the earth. What are we to fill the earth with? We are to fill the earth with, we are to fill the earth with God's glory which is his character. And how do we bring glory to God according to, to John chapter 15? He says, we bring glory to God by doing what? By bearing fruit. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 43. I know there's a lot of thoughts that are being thrown at you, but it's going to come together at the end, and uh, we're going to be delving more into it tomorrow. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. And it really gets to the point as to why God created you and me. Here God says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my what? For my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. 
The manufacturer of human beings says here, hey, this is the reason that I have created human beings. Like the creator of a piano created piano to make music, and like a creator of a, a automobile created that automobile to use it as transportation, the manufacturer of human beings says, the reason that I created human beings is for my glory. So that I will be glorified. Isn't that a little weird? Isn't that a little narcissistic? Don't you think? Isn't God supposed to be humble? But God says, I created you guys for my glory. And the way that we bring glory to God, he says, is by bearing fruit. So let's get to the fruit part. What is the fruit God is talking about? You probably won't, uh, we, we won't go there now, but Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It speaks of the fruit of the what? Does anyone remember? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and so on and so forth. What is that fruit talking about? It's talking about our character. So my message tonight is very simple. Why do you and I exist in this world? What is the reason for your existence? You and I exist to bear fruit. In other words, you and I exist to bear a fruit of the character of Jesus in our life. And by doing so, we give glory to God. By shining his glory, his character into the world. That's the reason for your existence. Now, why is that? Why is it that God has created you and us, you and me, for, for his glory? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 22. Ezekiel chapter 36. And verse 22. Now God is speaking to the Israelites and the Israelites at this time were very unfaithful to God. They were, they were messing up. They were committing idolatry and so on and so forth. So God is speaking to the Israelites and he says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. God is saying, up to this point, my reputation has been messed up because you have been messing up. 
You've been, you've been an idolatrous nation. You've been an unfaithful nation. And when other nations looked at you, they were like, God must be a terrible God. But God is saying to the Israelites, now I'm going to use you in a way that no longer they'll look at you and say, oh, God is a terrible God. Now they're going to look at you and they'll say, wow, God is an amazing God. When they look at the Israelites, that's what they're going to be saying. When the Israelites are sanctified, God is going to be hollowed through the Israelites. So why is that important? There are many facts in this world, right? Um, that the piano is black, that's a fact, right? Nobody's going to argue me on that, right? That's an undeniable fact. But that fact depends on previous facts. In other words, in order for that black, for that piano to be black, somebody must have painted it black. So the fact that the piano is black is dependent on that fact, right? Now, what is every fact dependent on? What is the ultimate fact that every fact is dependent on? Okay, the fact that the piano is black is because somebody painted it black, because somebody made a black paint, and somebody made that human being. It was their parents. So if you get to the, to the very core of what every fact is dependent on, what fact do we get to? Anyone? Truth. What is the ultimate truth that every fact is dependent on? Every single fact is dependent on this fact. God is creator. Or if you put it another way, you can say that every fact depends on the fact that God exists. Because God exists, he can be a creator. And because God is a creator, we have all the things that, that, that exist. So every fact depends on that fact. That God exists or that God is. That's why John 1, 1 proclaims, in the beginning, the word, it was the word. In the beginning was the word. That's the ultimate fact that every fact is dependent on. Right? Now, God exists. Is that a good news or is that bad news? Is that good or bad? It depends. Is it good to be married? It depends on who you're married to. It really does. You know, if, you're, if you have a terrible marriage, the fact that you're married is not necessarily good. Right? I have a job. Is that good? It depends on whether the job is good or not. So the fact that God exists, is that good or not? It depends. 
everything in this world depends on the fact that God is. And whether that is good or not depends on whether God is a good God or a bad God. Everything depends on that. And if God is a good God, if God's character is something that we can look at and say, wow, that's amazing. The fact that God exists is good news, but if God is a God that we can't love, a God whose character we can't emulate and and just, just praise Him for His character, the fact that God exists is a terrible news for us. Every fact depends on that. And because the ultimate fact is that, is that God exists, we need to know that that God is a good God. And if we know that that God is a good God, we have hope. We can look into the world and say, although what we're seeing around us is all seems to be messed up, if God, who is an omnipotent God, a God who is all-knowing God, if He is good, we can have hope in the fact that at the end of the day, at the end of it all, that we are going to be okay. And that depends on His character. And God says, the way that I'm going to show to the world that I am a good God and that the ultimate fact is actually a good fact, that the ultimate news is actually good news, the way that I am going to show that is through your lives. That's what God's saying. If we as Christians are not bearing the fruit of Christ-like character, what we're saying is that the ultimate news is terrible news. Look at me. This is what God is like. Oh, bad, that's not really good. Jesus says that again in John chapter 17. As Jesus is praying to the Father, he says, let them be one. And as they become one, the world will see them and they will know that you are the one who has sent me. It's through our lives that the character, that it is our lives that God uses to vindicate himself and show to the world, I'm a great God. I'm a loving God. I'm a trustworthy God. Now, there's another reason that we need to be bearing fruit. Be bearing fruit. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And verse 19. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Here it says here, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay. Here Jesus is talking about investing. Okay. He's saying invest in things that last forever rather than investing in things that are going to be gone. Yeah. Now look around you in this room. Do you see anything in this room that is going to last forever? Nothing. Imagine your house. Okay. Look, in, look in your house. Is there anything in your house that will last forever? There's nothing in your house that's going to last forever. Imagine you're doing an investment. You have $100 and you want to invest that $100 wisely. Let's say that you can invest in company A and tomorrow, if you invest $100, tomorrow you get $101. And that's it. If you invest in company B, if you invest $100 today, tomorrow you get $101, but for eternity you get $101 every day. For, for 100 years, let, let's not even do a, eternity. Which is the better investment? Is it group company A or is it company B? Company B is by far the better investment because you have returns for 100 years. You have constant return. Constant return. But Jesus is looking at human beings and he's looking at and, and he's seeing what human beings are, are doing. And he's like, I don't understand why you're doing that. You're investing in things that are temporary and they are all going to be gone. Why are you doing that? Instead... Invest your resources, invest your time in things that will last forever and ever and ever. And that's the much better investment you can do. But why are you investing your resources, your time in things that are going to be gone? In your cars, in your clothes, in your homes, and so on and so forth. In your education. Not that we shouldn't do those things. So what is it that lasts forever? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. And um, I'll just wrap up with this thought tonight, and uh, we'll get much deeper into it tomorrow. Second um, Corinthians chapter four, four sixteen. It says, "Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day." Okay, he says, "The outward man." gets older and older as the days go by. I look different from what I looked like two years ago. If I look at myself, you know, after two kids, 
you know, I look a lot older. Like, like I look out in the mirror, I'm like, man, you look older. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting, like, the outward man is, is literally perishing. But Paul says of his inner self, he's looking at inside like, wow, my inner self is being renewed day by day. It's getting better and better, of course, by God's grace. For our light affliction, verse 17, it says, for our light affliction, which <coughs> is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What, does gl- what can glory be translated as? Glory equals God's what? God's character. Right? While we do not look at the things which are seen, which is the outer man, right? The things that can be seen is the outer man, but at the things which are not seen, which is the inner man. For the things which are seen, which is the outer man, are temporary, but the things which are not seen, which is the inner man, he says, are eternal. There is nothing in your house that you can take into heaven with you. Nothing. When Jesus comes back to this world, they are, it's all going to be burned up. But there's only one thing in your life that you can take with you. Only one thing. And it's your character. It's the inner man which is eternal. And as Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's begging the people, please don't invest your time on things that are temporary, which is for a moment, according to Paul. But invest in something that will last you for a lifetime, that will bless you for eternity. And that is character. My message for you tonight is very simple. Although I used a very roundabout way to get at that very simple message... My message is that the reason that you and I exist is to bear fruit. And to bear fruit, we mean to have a Christ-like character. That's the reason we exist. And as we live such a life, we, others will see us or, or the Christ that is in us, the Jesus Christ that is in us, and they will see the glory of Jesus Christ himself. Not because of us, but because of what he is doing in us. Let's, let's look at just one more verse and we'll finish. I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Start from verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So in other words, if we actually have the the character of Christ, it's not something that that we can boast about and say, oh, look how Christ-like I am. Look at me. Just just a Christ-like servant of God. No. He says, "There's, there's no merit in it whatsoever. 
There's no boasting in it whatsoever. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why, were, why are we created in Christ Jesus? For good works, bearing good fruit, in other words, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again and again, the Bible is very consistent in telling us, teaching us that the reason that we exist in this world is to reflect the character of Christ in this world. So that people will see the character of Christ through us and there will be a multiplication. He says, bear fruit and multiply. And there will be a multiplication of the character of Christ that, that, that is seen in this world. And the earth will be filled with the glory of God, with the character of Christ. So again, simple message. You exist in this world to reflect the character of Christ. Make that the focus of your life. Make the main thing the main thing. You can use the piano for a lot of things. You can use it as a bed if you want. But that's a very bad use of the piano. If you, if you look there, you know, a young child can sleep on that if, if he or she wants, but that's a very bad use for that, for that piano. Right. You can use a car for different things, but if you're cooking in a car and using that as your kitchen, which could be possible, that's not a good use of your car. There's a lot of things that you can do with your life. But if you are not doing the main thing, you, we are not making good use of our lives. If you don't know the main purpose of your life, you can't make good use of our lives. Because our lives would be just wandering randomly. And we'll end up somewhere, but we won't end up where we should be ending up. Tomorrow, we're going to get into... Uh, more practical things about how we can reflect that character of Christ. Um, I know tonight's message has been a little bit complicated for, for some of us, but um, I promise you tomorrow's message is going to be a lot simpler, and um, it's going to be more practical. But I just really want you to, to go back tonight and just, just, just really drill that in your heart tonight. Why do I exist? If you haven't known it before, just, 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 just drill it in your heart and make sure that you know that you exist for the very simple purpose of reflecting Christ's character in this world.